It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. As always, I am your gracious host, Scott Connor. You can find me on X at Charles Chill FFB. Everything over at Destination Devi at patreon.com slash all gas and destinationdevi.com. Get access to all of the bonus content, written articles, and much, much more, along with access to the Destination Devi Discord, where you get a lot of the interaction from the community. So check all of that out. Still spots available in the Trades in 5 tier if you join the Patreon, and then obviously you can join any tier you would like on the Destination Devi website, so check those out. Coming up this week, we do have a special Trades in 5 episode on Tuesday. We will be doing a live Heisman roster review, so if you're interested in that, if you've heard of the roster reviews, it will be super cool to actually knock one of those out live on the stream 8.30 Eastern time on the Trades in 5 channel. There will not be a Destination Chill this week. Uh, instead, there will be a crossover show that will be on Trades in 5. And then after that, there will be an AMA in the Discord. So you will not get Destination Chill this week. There will be Trades in 5 content coming on Wednesday, along with Destination Chill being following the next week right before Thanksgiving. So we'll take a week off of Destination Chill. But the AMA and the Discord will be back on Wednesday night, 9.05 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you're not in there, join up. But you get access to that extra AMA on the audio if you are a member of the Trades in 5 or the Destination 5 tier on the website. And then finally, upcoming, there's going to be the Roster Construction Series. I haven't laid out exactly when that is going to come out, but I plan on rehashing that towards the end of the season. So probably towards the end of the fantasy season with the first episode being just some basic tips to prepare yourself for the off season. One thing that I think is very important is setting up your roster the best that you can for the off season. A lot of leagues lock after the playoffs end. So after week 17, your waivers quit running. At least that's the case in some of the leagues that I've seen. A lot of mine that I commission, they go year round, but in a lot, they lock after that week meaning that you can't really make any more pickups. There are no more speculative pickups until maybe even the rookie draft. So in those cases, I think it's important to know what you want your construction to look like going into the offseason. So that'll be something that we focus on. And then more to come, more announcements to come as to Destination Devi uh, with some content that'll be coming for the offseason. But we are 10 weeks through. And we are closing down the college football season here in a couple weeks. We're getting to the final couple regular season games, the conference championship games, and then we'll get the college football playoff announcements. So about a month and a half-ish left of the college football season. But for all intents and purposes, only a couple more games that are going to matter. It's going to be a very interesting college football playoff this year uh, regarding who gets in. Well, this isn't going to be the show to talk about that, but I think it's going to be very interesting with some of the decisions the committee is going to have to make uh, if we do have five or six teams that end up winning out because it'll be very interesting to see. There's a couple of historical precedents that I'm not going to talk about in this show that they're going to have to go against or at least they're going to be challenging uh, to the committee 
if the specific results play out as they do. So with this show, we're not going to talk a ton of specific dynasty application. Save that for tectonic transactions. Save that for trades in five and the other content. We are going to look at the 2024 class. And I know I already did an episode on this about a month ago, maybe a little bit further back. I can't remember when I actually do the shows, but I know that it was a little while back. Just kind of looking big picture at the 2024 class. If you also want to go back and look at the show uh, that Ray and I did a couple weeks ago on Destination Chill, we talked about the 2024 class, but it wasn't so much the players. It's more so trying to get ahead of the game in terms of the draft picks. How are we going to view the picks from an overarching landscape looking at the dynasty pool now, looking at the value of the rookie picks, how are they going to be seen by the community? And I think there's a couple takeaways, but I wanted to use Travis May's tweet. I saw a tweet, shout out to Travis May of Rotoviz and uh, Fantasy Mojo, but he put out a tweet over the weekend that I thought was really, really cool. And I'll link the tweet in this episode, uh, but it's titled, I scraped 60 plus actual NFL mock drafts from the last six weeks to find what 2024 NFL draft top hundred consensus looks like today. And then he just does an entire thread breaking it down. So it's really, really detailed, talks about a lot of players, talks about guys moving up, guys moving down. But literally he went through and just scraped a top hundred or came up with a top hundred based on 60 plus mocks. And Could you just look at mock draft database to get something like this? I think you could. However, I think this is more accurate only because we're actually taking the slot and trying to figure out where they would fit from a top 100 perspective. And if you're just taking the top 100 based on aggregate draft position, I think it gives us a pretty good snapshot of what the class could look like. Now, are there going to be players that move up? Are there going to be players that move down? Are there going to be players that don't even declare that show up on this list that are not even in the class? And then there's going to be players that aren't on this this list that clearly jump into the top 100. But I think it's interesting to just look at what this board looks like. And again, I like using large sample sizes when you're talking about mock drafts because a lot of times boards can be all over the place. You have no clue whether teams are trying to actually project the draft capital for a player. Are they also trying to line up landing spots with what the current mock draft order is? And obviously that is changing every single week that we have NFL draft results. So you really don't know the motives. And that's been always one of my things when doing any sort of mock draft, whether it's an NFL mock, whether it's a Debbie mock, whether it's a 2024 rookie mock, unless there is really, really transparent reasons as to why people are picking what players then they tend to be all over the place. With the idea being, are you trying to pick who is going to be the most valuable player? Or are you trying to swing for the player that has the most upside in terms of their range of outcomes and you really don't care if they actually are going to even be in the class? Or are you trying to nail where their actual draft position is going to be in a dynasty draft? You know, it's very interesting if you did a mock draft for a 2024 rookie class super flex, you're probably going to have like eight or nine quarterbacks that go in the top two rounds, two and a half rounds. But the reality is no class actually looks like that. 
name me the last class where you go, yeah, we had eight quarterbacks that went in the top 24 picks. It doesn't happen because the NFL doesn't take eight quarterbacks in the prerequisite range that you would want to draft them in those ranges for dynasty. So you look at that and you go, yeah, sure. Somebody took QB eight, but there's a really good chance that QB eight either doesn't declare or doesn't get draft capital. So basically they've just wasted a pick and they passed over somebody that's almost guaranteed to get day two capital or better, but they're going, if I hit on the quarterback, it's much more important. And that makes sense, but not everybody drafts that way. Some people are drafting with who they think is going to be available at that pick. Other people are going, well, super flex. I'll just swing for the fences, even though the quarterback that I'm drafting maybe has a 20% chance of actually landing here. So it's interesting with the motives. That's why I like something like this, because it's over 60 full mock drafts, and you're really just looking at the top 100 and then taking the aggregate of where those players fall. So I wanted to break that down because I think it was a cool exercise. There's some spots where I think maybe they're a little inaccurate, and there's some spots where they might be a little bit of a reality check for Dynasty. And we're going to start by actually looking at the quarterbacks because one thing that we had a very, very good conversation over the weekend in the Heisman voice chat was the quarterback position. You know, lackluster games this weekend from a couple of the quarterbacks. Caleb Williams and Drake may seem to be locked into the top two or three. According to this, according to this exercise, Caleb Williams locked in at number one, Drake may basically locked in at number three, the aggregate draft position for Caleb was 1.44. So basically more than half of these mocks had him going at the one Oh one and then Drake may at three Oh two. So basically every mock had Drake may going inside the top three. If not, some of them had him going one Oh one or one Oh two. So pretty much you can lock those two into being at the top. Now, do they actually go one Oh one and one Oh two or one Oh one or one Oh three? We'll see. Uh, but I think it's fair to say that they are at the top of Superflex boards. Then it gets interesting. And looking at this, there are nine total QBs, but seven of them outside of the first round after Drake and after Caleb. And we clearly know that that's probably going to change. There's probably going to be multiple QBs drafted in the first round that are not Drake May or Caleb Williams. But what this board reflects is exactly what it feels like out there in the Debbie space right now. So we're going to talk a little bit through this exercise. What it reflects is people still aren't sure. You have JJ McCarthy going at pick 40. You have Michael Penix going at pick 41. You have Bo Nix at pick 53. Quinn Ewers at pick 56 who's a candidate to not even declare for the draft. If not, I had to bet right now, I would say Quinn Ewers probably doesn't declare for the NFL draft, barring that he doesn't go on a run in the college football playoff and win a natty or look so good where it's like, yeah, he's going to come out just because he's had a really good chance of being QB3. But as of right now, I would say Quinn Ewers does not declare. Shador Sanders, same thing. He's not going to be in next year's class. So even though he's on pick 60 on this board, that's probably going to be one that falls out. Jaden Daniels, pick 99. Now, Jaden Daniels, right now, and I'm going to agree with Ray on this because he's been saying it all weekend, and I know this is something that's going to continue uh, coming out of his mouth. Right now, I would have Jaden Daniels as the QB3. There's a chance I would have Jaden Daniels as QB3 and Devi overall. I would take him over Penix. Knicks, I think, is probably the other guy I would think could be in consideration with Jaden Daniels, but he's not going to have 
the potential rushing upside along with the passing efficiency. I mean, you look at Jaden Daniels numbers this year, they're ridiculous. So for me, he would be the guy where I go, I'm going to bet on him being in the first round, the third QB off the board ahead of McCarthy, ahead of Knicks, ahead of Penix, Quinn, Shador Sanders, probably not even going to be in the class. So if it's me and I'm in Debbie right now, I'm willing to take Jaden Daniels over every other Debbie QB. And you heard me right over Drew Alar over any of the 2026 rookies, I would take Jaden Daniels as QB3. In fact, I tried to send out a couple deals where I'm getting Jaden Daniels for some of those other guys. Michael Penix, Quinn Ewers, Bo Nix, J.J. McCarthy. Doesn't matter who it is. And it really has nothing to do with their standing in this year's class. You know, I think all of those guys will definitely be in this draft. For sure, Penix, for sure, Bo Nix will be in this draft. So it really has nothing to do with them coming back. With Quinn, yes. Shador, yes, but the other two, I just think Jaden Daniels will get drafted higher and he's better, especially over Penix. I don't even think it's close. I, I think if you listen to somebody like Dane Brugler, he'll tell you Penix is going to struggle to even be like a third round pick. Yet you have some chatter out there in Dynasty that the guy is going to be like top 10. I just bet against it with what I've heard and what I've read and what I've listened to thus far. So this has Jaden Daniels going pick 99, which is the end of the third round. I think what happens is you're going to see probably two of these QBs from this ambiguous range of seven others after Caleb and Drake May that are going to move up. And there's some names that are not even on this list that have the potential to jump in there uh, as well. Cam Ward is on there at 103. He was the last one of this draft or of this board that actually shows up in there. But the other guys that I haven't even mentioned that also have a shot to jump into this range so you have Riley Leonard is another one that got a little buzz early on. He's fallen a little bit, got injured, and has fallen a little bit. But Riley Leonard, a one, is that in the mix, I think, right now. Spencer Rattler is another one. There's a few others. Michael Pratt, Jordan Travis, Joe Milton, DJU. There's a lot of others that you could see get drafted in the first four or five rounds. You're just not really sure of the order. But there could be others that sneak up in there. Uh, and round out the first, I don't know, 10 quarterbacks off the board. But there's probably going to be, if I had to guess right now, we should be treating this rookie class as, let's call it four quarterbacks inside the top 25, inside the top 32, if you want to call it just round one. I'm planning on there being four quarterbacks in this class. So adjust accordingly. I don't know who those names are going to be, I gave you my thoughts. If I had to bet right now, I would bet on Bo Nix and I would bet on Jaden Daniels being the two that round out the first round, but certainly it could be J.J. McCarthy if he declares. Certainly it could be Quinn Ewers if he declares. I wouldn't bet on Penix. But I think what this speaks to is the fact that the masses are not sure about the QB 3, 4, 5, 6, and keep in mind, this year we've seen so many quarterbacks get opportunities. I think what this speaks to is that we're probably going to have a dozen quarterbacks get drafted next year in the top four rounds, five rounds, maybe call it 10. But even here, you have nine going in the first three rounds. So if you just say we have 10 quarterbacks that go in the first four rounds, there is going to be a Will Levis. There is going to be like a Drew Locke from a couple years ago that goes in the first 10 picks of the second round. 
There is going to be a Desmond Ritter and a Davis Mills. There's going to be a Sam Howe that drops to the fourth, and you go, yeah, if that guy could ever get a shot, he might be able to start. Howe went in the fifth. Aiden O'Connell went in the fourth. Those guys have gotten shots to start. So there's going to be a couple others where we're going to dismiss, but then we're going to go, man, you know, I didn't really like Michael Penix to go in the first round, but somebody got him in the early third or the late second. And that's a guy we have to take seriously, especially hit hit with the roster construction series that comes up. Backup QBs that have backup jobs in the offseason are one of the spots where you probably want to prioritize more roster spots than you think. Just given the nature of the position, given the war of this position, and especially if you're playing in a league where the quarterback scoring isn't ridiculous, it really starts to flatten out where you almost can start patchworking together starts at QB just like you have been able to at running back. So that's going to be something that's going to be an edge. But for this class, I'm penciling in four first-round quarterbacks, and maybe, maybe I'll just bet on a fifth or a sixth to go in the first two rounds. So if we're talking dynasty super flex drafts, 12 teamers, the first two rounds, so 24 picks, I think there could potentially end up being five or six QBs that people draft. And that's it. That's how I'm evaluating the quarterback position. You're going to have two studs at the top, and then you're going to have probably a guy like Daniels if he's a first-round pick. He's going to be one of those QBs where you go, man, it's really hard not to take a shot on him in the mid-first. You're going to take him over quarterbacks that maybe got similar draft capital. A guy like Bo Nix might get the same draft capital. You're going to take him. You're going to take him probably over a couple receivers that you don't love the landing spot. So it's going to be interesting with Daniels, but right now he would be a guy in Debbie Leagues. If you can get Daniels, I'd trade any other Debbie QB for Jaden Daniels just at the shot that he could be a first-rounder. Because if he is, I think the dynasty community is going to fall in love with him. The passing efficiency from this year is off the charts. That's going to help his stock only from the perspective of he's not going to be viewed as just a runner. He's going to be viewed as a guy that has come in, has started for four years. Remember, he started as a freshman at Arizona State. And the narrative was, man, he's too small. When he ended up transferring, he was, he was too small. Really wasn't an NFL prospect. But he's going to be a guy that the NFL, I think, is going to love the overall skill set. He's shown the passing efficiency. He's an elite runner. And he has incredible experience in terms of games started at a high level in the Pac-12 and in the SEC. So I think he's my favorite to be QB3 at this point. But I'm locking in four first-round QBs, probably six QBs that I would take inside the top two rounds. So keep that in mind. If you're looking quarterback, that's how you should be viewing it. And if you have those mid to late first, there's going to be a couple of shots at QBs. Now, whether you like the guy, you like the landing spot, that I, who knows? But I think you have to pencil that in that there's going to be more than just Drake. There's going to be more than just Caleb Williams. So let's move on. Let's go to tight end. I think this is going to be very easy. Uh, the long and short of it is this has Brock Bowers going at the eighth spot. So Brock Bowers in the top 10. And then Jatavian Sanders going inside the first two and a half rounds. So they have him at over 72 overall, which would be the early third round. Um, I know Ray's been really high on Jatavian Sanders. Um, he's mentioned him being a guy that gets pretty high draft capital. So maybe he moves up. Um, looking at mock draft database, if you just check where they have Jatavian Sanders, they have him a lot higher. They have him going currently pick 50. But all in all, this is a weak tight end class. And maybe that changes once players test. Once we get a little more information, but right now, if you're looking tight end, 
this is probably not the class that you're going to want to target because you're going to have Bowers. You might have Jatavian Sanders. And let's keep in mind with some of the other positions, with the number of receivers I'm about to go over, with the quarterbacks that I just talked about, even if a guy like Jatavian Sanders goes in the late second round and he tests really well, he may get lost in this class. He may be somebody that gets lost from a perspective of kind of like Pat Fryermuth back when Kyle Pitts and Pat Fryermuth came into the league. Fryermuth settled into the mid-second only because there were so many other options ahead of him that he just got lost. But then you look up and you see the results of some of these young tight ends that are producing right now. He may be a guy that ends up being a steal. But all in all, if this is one of those hyper, hyper premium start two tight end leagues, Brock Bowers is going to be the prize. And not saying I want to justify picking him as high as he's going to go in some leagues, but you're going to have one person that says this is the only tight end that's really worth taking in the first 20 picks or so. So I think he's going to be somebody that is viewed as a positional advantage, not just coming into the NFL, but just in general in his class. There's not going to be probably anybody close. At least that's what this data is saying right now with Bowers in the top 10 and Jatavian Sanders outside the first two rounds. So with that said, I think the big thing, and we talked about this on the AMA last week, the big thing with a guy like Brock Bowers is he's going to be expensive. He's going to be Kyle Pitts expensive. He's going to be somebody that costs you a top five pick, top six pick, regardless of who else is here, regardless of the landing spot for some of the receivers, regardless of the draft capital for the other first round quarterbacks after Drake and Caleb. So in your league, you have to evaluate Brock Bowers could be a positional advantage guy right off the rip. You're seeing rookie tight ends produce as above replacement tight ends right away. No longer do we need to wait three or four years. I think it's fair to say if you have guys that come in and you like their profiles and they're in a spot where a team is committed to giving them a role early, you can see them produce. Not maybe difference-making, Travis Kelsey-level numbers, but startable numbers where you're comfortable going, I don't have a tight end on this team. I draft Brock Bowers. He's my starter. And I'm banking that he's going to give me top eight production or better for the season. That used to be a pipe dream in Dynasty to have a rookie tight end like that. But now I think you can enter the season saying, if you draft Bowers, he's your starter. There isn't, I need to have uh, Evan Ingram. I need to have somebody like that also next to him. He's the starter. But in the conundrum, I think in a lot of leagues, even if it's a two PPR league, even if it's a start two tight end league, at the price Brock Bowers is going to cost, does he hold the flexibility on the market for you to be able to say, okay, I drafted Brock Bowers. I used the 104 rookie pick. Now I can go to the table and I could move him for equivalent value. And I think that's where it's going to fall a little bit short. It's almost like Bijan last year, but there's not going to be another equivalent or close to equivalent running back in the class. But it's the type of pick where as soon as you draft him, as soon as you draft Bijan at his value, as soon as you draft Brock Bowers at the value he is going to be at right when he enters the league, you're kind of pot committed on that value on your roster. He has to be really good and productive right away for people to say, okay, I'm going to count that as a legitimate asset, especially if you want to move that asset for a wide receiver or for a quarterback. People are going to look at that and say, yeah, you know, I like those guys, but as soon as I'm having to give up premier quarterback or wide receiver value, 
people shy away. And I think that's just the nature of the tight end position. And what I'm saying is immediately when you draft a guy like Bowers, he becomes more valuable to your team in terms of the asset value than probably what you can go out on the open market and do. But because there's only one in the class, that's going to be seen as a locked in top six player, regardless of what happens with everybody else, especially if it's a league where tight ends are valued 1.75 premium or higher start two tight ends. He'll may, might be in the battle for the 101, 102, 103 in some formats. I know I'm in a couple leagues where they're two tight end heavy premium and they're scarce. And he'll be a guy that people are legitimately debating between him and Marv or him and one of the quarterbacks. Cause that's how scarce it is. So standalone, pretty simple tight ends. You're probably only penciling one inside the first round, one inside the top six. Uh, and then maybe Jatavian Sanders being a guy that's a value. If he gets second round capital, he could be one of those guys that you get in the mid to late second. And you do end up with another Trey McBride or better or someone where you're like, wow, within a year I could have a starter. So that's how the tight end class shakes out. According to this data. Next up, we're going to go to running back. We're going to save receiver for last because I think it's the best conversation of all. And running backs, man. So this list, just real quick on the data, this list does not have a running back going in the top 70 picks. Okay? So not a single running back in the first two rounds. That used to be a death knell for a running back class. Not even a second round running back at all. The highest pick, Travion Henderson, pick 77. So you're talking about a little bit on the early side of the third round. So early to mid third round for Travion. Next up, Jonathan Brooks was the second running back off the board. Pick 87. That would be the mid to late third round. Jonathan Brooks suffered a torn ACL over the weekend. So that's a running back that was almost guaranteed to be a top three round pick. Some people had him RB one in the class and he's out. And does he still get drafted? Yeah, it's a torn ACL. You know, guys can come back from torn ACLs, but it's hard to imagine he gets capital where you're saying, all right, I'm excited for him right away. He's going to be coming off a torn ACL. We're looking at less than 10 months recovery to even be before the NFL season starts, assuming that he has his surgery pretty quick. But he's also a rookie running back. He's a rookie running back that's about to go day three of the NFL draft. And how do we value the position when a rookie running back doesn't play right away? How does it feel in your league if you're holding a guy like Kendra Miller right now? You know, how does it feel if you have Tank Bigsby, Zach Charbonnet, Ty J Spears, Roshan Johnson? You know, a couple of these guys are good. They've been fine. But think about when you drafted them. Even if you were hoping for an injury or you were hoping for them to carve out a bigger role, even if they got that, even if they carved out that bigger role, Zach Charbonnet's carved out a decent role the last month. What weight does he hold in terms of being a guy that you can move? Immediately, it feels like when you drafted all of those guys, it was, well, I'm glad I have a next man up running back on my roster that if things break right, I have a free starter for a couple weeks. I have a free square that I didn't pay a ton for. But people did pay a ton for him. All of those guys I mentioned right there were going in the top 20 rookie draft picks. This is where I think we're going to see a big shift. Now, partially, it's because the class last year wasn't as good from a depth perspective, right? Didn't have the depth of receiver, didn't have the depth of quarterbacks to where it pushed everybody up. You got to the end of the first, even in a super flex, and you were wondering, 
do I take a tight end or do I take one of these running backs? And there was a bevy of running backs to pick that got, you know, top hundred capital or so. And you just justified, hey, I like Tank Bigsby's offense. I like Zach Charbonnet's offense. I like Roshan Johnson's opportunity. I like Kendra Miller's talent. Whatever it was, people justified picking their guy. But I think generally, most people that used those picks, late first, early to mid seconds, even late seconds on running backs, they're generally disappointed. Now, it wasn't a great class either. There was a lot of receivers in that range you could have also picked. Jonathan Mingo, Marvin Mims. You know, even Josh Downs or Jaden Reed, they've been okay. But the idea, there really wasn't a super massive hit in that range. You know, people can say, oh, Puka Nakua, but he was even later than that. In that second round, if you go back and look at the ADP in the second round of 2023 Superflex drafts, there really wasn't a guy where you're like, oh my God, I had to have that player. Had to have him. You know, we're, we're not talking about A-Chain. We're not talking about... Laporta. I mean, those guys went a little bit earlier. I'm talking about like the early to remaining second round picks where it was, you know, Roshan and Tank Bigsby and those receivers. I mean, even Rasheed Rice has been okay, but it's not like Rasheed Rice or Jaden Reed have been guys that you know when to start at any point. They're probably solid players, but there really wasn't a huge hit in that range. And I'm kind of fearing that's what this running back class is going to end up being because here's the thing I just mentioned. Henderson, Brooks, I'll just read the rest. Trey Benson, pick 94. Will Shipley, pick 97. Raheem Sanders, pick 100. Blake Corum, pick 104. And Braylon Allen, pick 106. So again, what does this data say? That's seven running backs going from mid-round three to end of round three. Do I really think seven running backs go in that range? Maybe. But I think what it says is really nobody has conviction that any of these guys belongs much higher because the cluster is so close together that it tells me most people are just throwing a couple running backs into the third or fourth round of their mock draft. And that's where they end up being not a single one even sniffs the top 50. And I know there are some boards out there that will put, you know, maybe Travion Henderson in the top 50 mock draft database has him at 52, but generally MDB has it the same way as the data that Travis pulled, a bunch of guys going in round three, round four. And you got some specialists in there, guys like Audric Estime, who's just going to be a very specific bruising running back that's going to be a scheme fit. Same with Bucky Irving, the absolute opposite of Estime, a team that's looking for a change of pace receiving back, small dude. And then there's a couple other guys in there, Marshawn Lloyd, Donovan Edwards. Like you have some good running backs that you're going to go, Hey, I'm intrigued by that guy, but almost the entire landscape is just going to be judged on sure draft capital. Sure. Maybe how they score their points potentially. Are they fast? Are they elite receivers? But I think more importantly, it's going to be landing spot. So right now, if I had to pencil in a rookie draft, I probably wouldn't pencil in a single running back in the top 15 picks. Now, is that extreme? Maybe. I guarantee you there's going to be people in the community that are going to talk themselves into one or two running backs higher than that based on their landing spot, and that's okay. But I think right now with this data and with where we're at at a dynasty community with the running back position, more and more people are simply looking at it as, what are you doing for me now? 
period. There's going to be a running back or two from this class where you look in three years and you go, damn, that should have been the guy we were on because now he's a 20-touch player and he's great in the NFL. Like That's probably going to happen. But I have no clue who it's going to be, and I think from an odds perspective, you almost treat the running back position as, I'm going to evaluate them. I care about their draft capital, but more importantly, I just care where did they land, what's their potential opportunity. And looking at the historic war of rookie picks, you even see where that drop-off starts to happen. And historically, before this year, it was right at the 203-204 to where once you get below that, the actual war that you get from the players below that is very low. And you know the nature of running back war, too, is it has to be in your lineup for you to capture it. So I think we're in for a rude awakening to where we're going to see entire rookie drafts, 1 through 12 in the first round, that no one even considers a running back. And in fact, there's going to be people that draft running backs at the end of the first, early second, based on need, and that's even still going to be uncomfortable because you're probably drafting a guy with late second round, early third round draft capital, and most likely, given what's in free agency this year, you know, you have seven of the top 20 dynasty running backs hitting free agency. There's going to be a couple teams where you go, man, I really hope that running back doesn't land there because they just signed Josh Jacobs to a three-year contract. You know, and you know if a running back next to a guy like Josh Jacobs, they're probably going to be, until Jacobs goes down or isn't there, they're probably not going to see the workload that you want. So I do think I'm going into this right now. There's probably going to be five, six, seven running backs that go in the top 24 picks, top 30 picks, but they're very much going to feel like last year's second round. I'm just taking a guy. And largely people are going to say, I'm just taking a running back because, well, the quarterbacks and the wide receivers ran out. Of guys I like, they ran out at those positions. So I'll just draft Blake Corum. I'll just draft Trey Benson. I don't mind their landing spot. They land in a spot where they may get some opportunity. But that's how I think the running back class is going to uh, shake out based on this data, but also just based on how we're treating the position. You know, you're seeing veteran guys that are producing. Regardless of their age, regardless of their history, guys like Alvin Kamara are top 15 dynasty running backs still. Why? Because he's producing. That's it. He's producing now. No one cares about six months down the road. No one cares at all about next year. The community has kind of just shown based on their actions that any running back that's producing now has X value. And then when they don't have that opportunity anymore, they really don't have any value. And I've talked about this on numerous shows. It isn't even about their paper value or their artificial dynasty value, ADV, like Ray likes to call it. Or you look at keep trade cut and it says, yeah, that running back is RB26. But the reality is when you go in your league, if they're not scoring today, nobody cares. They're viewed as a body. And a body has a value of a second round pick at best. But a lot of people just value bodies. It's like, sure, I'll give you a third. Sure, I'll give you a third and a fourth. But that's it. And then the next week, if there's an injury, a guy goes from third and a fourth value to, oh, he's easily worth a second because he's going to start the rest of the year. So I think that's how they're going to view this running back class, given that there really aren't going to be many that probably get drafted in a range that get people excited. And last up, of course, we are going to talk about everybody's favorite position right now, the wide receiver, and the data does not disappoint. So looking at Travis's thread, you have Marvin Harrison going in the top two. So number two overall on the big board. 
You then have four receivers in the top 20. Nobody else in the top 10, but four more receivers in the top 20. Malik Neighbors, 13. Ameka Agbuka, 16. Keon Coleman, 17. And Rome Adunze at 20. Then you have a bunch more going in ranges where I think this is similar to how people viewed the quarterbacks, but you have Xavier Worthy at pick 35, so that would be early second round. And then between pick 65, so that's the start of the third round, and the end of the third round, you have Troy Franklin, Xavier Leggett, Adonai Mitchell, Malachi Corley, Roman Wilson, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, Devontez Walker, and Johnny Wilson. So between the start of the second and the end of the third, we have nine receivers, which tells me that there's going to be more receivers that jump inside those top two rounds. They're just not really sure who those guys are exactly going to be. Is there going to be a riser that jumps up into the top 40? Is there going to be another guy that jumps into the first round? If I had to bet right now, we probably get six receivers in the first round. Just the nature of the position. Last year's receiver class was a little bit of a down class. And I think the NFL is ready for, especially with the receivers that are going to be available in free agency next year, you know, depending on who gets franchise tag between guys like Michael Pittman or T Higgins, like there's a pretty high likelihood that it's going to be a weak wide receiver free agent class, which tells me that there's going to be a demand for even receivers in the second round, you know, guys that jump into the top 50, top 40. And we've seen historically when good profiles land in that range. They're almost treated like first down dynasty picks ahead of other potential positions. And especially if the running backs are pretty weak this year and don't get draft capital. So I do think that's what this receiver class is going to look like. You are going to see a round one in Superflex chalk full of receivers. I mean, right here, we're talking about five in the first round, five in the top 20. If that, if that happens, can you imagine just how excited people are going to be, especially with the profiles they like? You know, guys like Egbuka and Malik Neighbors and Keon Coleman, like they've kind of been consistently there even before this year, but Coleman and Neighbors have been right there the entire season. So is Roma Dunze. Like those guys have really delivered. Egbuka, I'm not sure about. He's one of the guys in Debbie. Like if I could move him for Xavier Worthy, if I can move him in a plus to get one of those other guys below him, you know, somebody like Troy Franklin or somebody like A.D. Mitchell, like I'd be willing to do that because I think Egbuka is going to be somebody that ends up going top 50, but he's kind of gotten more expectation and buzz than he probably deserved. I mean, a lot of people had him at the wide receiver two coming into the year, and that's clearly not the case. Uh, but the idea is after Xavier Worthy, I think people are going to fall in love with Xavier Worthy. That's the other one I would bet that potentially could go in the first round. You're talking about six right there. And then you have a bunch of guys between, you know, Troy Franklin, Leggett, A.D. Mitchell, Roman Wilson, Jalen McMillan, Devontez Walker, Malachi Corley, Two of those guys probably go in the top 50. So it's setting up to be one of those classes like 2020 where you look up and you go, damn, there were a lot of receivers that went inside the top 50. Good ones, good profiles. You know, you have six in the first round and you have two more. If you remember T Higgins and Michael Pittman went in the first two picks of the second round. So all of a sudden we're talking about, damn, like eight legitimate wide receiver profiles that are going in that range. And people are excited about those guys. And I think that's what that's going to look like this year. I think you're going to see a first round chalk full of receivers. Now, what does that actually mean? Because a lot of these guys are going to go to spots where you go, okay, cool. 
He's the second best receiver on the team. There's already an alpha receiver. There's already a really good target hog receiver. And that's okay. So I think we have to maybe be a little more stringent on the actual evaluation of the receivers themselves before we just say, well, eight receivers are top 40 picks. We're going to throw them all into the top 40 in Dynasty. And we're going to kick out guys that haven't been awesome, but we know what they are. You know, we're going to boot out the Deontay Johnsons and the Hollywood Browns just because they're yesterday's news. Like that's going to happen from a dynasty perspective, but it's good if you're holding 2024 first round picks, because if somebody is sitting there at 110 and they have a shot at taking three or four different round one receivers, people are going to be excited about those picks. Now, some strategy perspective, if you can move one of those later first, if you have a playoff pick and you say specifically, I want to move it for something, as long as it has a little insulation, I have no problem moving one of those picks for a guy like Deontay Johnson or Hollywood Brown or DJ Moore, whoever it might be. Like no problem moving your 110 for one of those guys. But just understand there may be, and this is the whole reason why we're doing this show, is to try to get a feel for what is the class going to look like from a demand perspective. How are the masses going to view the class? Are people going to say, man, there's going to be four first-round QBs. There's going to be eight receivers in the top 40. Good profiles, too. Not necessarily like last year, where there's a couple profiles where like, yeah, you know, that guy got okay capital, like Jonathan Mingo. But people didn't really like him. Here, you're going to have guys like Troy Franklin, Xavier Worthy. Like, those guys are going to be the ones in the top 40. And people are going to go, oh, yeah, I know that guy. He's good. So those picks are going to be in high demand. Then you have the quarterbacks, the high-end quarterbacks, and the hope is the demand for Drake and Caleb is going to be so high that the next QB, three, four, maybe even five, if five sneak into the first round, are going to be more in demand just because of the overlap and the turnover at QB that we're going to see. We went through this exercise in the Heisman chat. Up to 13 QB potential changeover spots up to 13 spots next year where you go, yeah, that team could address a Q, address the QB position. And we called them, you know, there's obviously a level of confidence on each one of those, but even a couple of those where you go, man, the team could still draft a guy a la like the Jordan love situation team could still draft a future QB and doesn't mean they are going to start them right away, but they could still draft a future QB. Even if it's not in the first round, it could be in the early second. So I think in consensus, that's how you're going to view this class. Now, hopefully it holds together. Hopefully we don't see more injuries. Hopefully we do see some concentrated skill talent at receiver and at quarterback kind of rise to the top. We want the cream to rise to the top, right? We want Drake and Caleb to cement their positions. We want another couple guys to really shine, and you're going to see Bo Nix. You're going to see Jaden Daniels. You're going to see those guys at the Senior Bowl most likely. So you want to see a couple guys really take the reins of like, these are the dudes, you know, you want to be able to pencil in four or five quarterbacks in the first round. You want to see the receiver class really concentrate inside that top 40, top 50, where you can say there's seven or eight receivers in that range right there. Let's go four quarterbacks. Let's go eight receivers based on this data. That's your first round. Then you add in Brock Bowers. Then you add in maybe, maybe there's one running back where you say, I can draft that guy in the top 15. But that's how it's shaking out right now. When I do the math right there, that's 14 spots. I'll save one for that running back. One running back 
I'll save a spot. But right there, four quarterbacks, eight receivers, a tight end, and a spot for a running back. So hopefully this kind of helps you view how you're looking at those picks. Now, historically, from a war perspective, the picks really do flatten off from 106-ish and beyond. Maybe it's a little better this year where it's 108 and beyond. But the idea is, where does that tier end? Let's say it starts to flatten off at 106, 107. Where does that flat tier end? And right now, it's probably looking at somewhere like early to mid-second. So you may get a class where the 203, 204 is just as valuable as the 110. And if you can predict that, understanding having those picks in those ranges, you may be able to go through and find a deal where, okay, I'm moving a late second and a player, because maybe you can't get a first for a player. You're trying to move a player. Maybe you have a good team. You're trying to move a player. You can't get a first. I have a league I'm trying to move Tyler Lockett where I'm a contender. I'd take a random second. But at this point, if I can't get a random second because I haven't been able to in this league, I may be willing to go, okay, can I package my late second, my playoff pick, because I'm currently a top four team. Can I package that plus Tyler Lockett to a team that's in the middle, to a team that's in sixth, seventh, eighth place? You know, they're still looking for some help to try to make the playoffs. But even if they make the playoffs, I moved the 210 for Tyler Lockett, or I moved 210 and Tyler Lockett for the 207. 206. Hopefully it's a little bit of a higher pick, but you get the point. Can you package something to move up into that sweet spot range? So that's how I'm viewing it today. Obviously, this is very, very early, but I think we're going to get a pretty traditional class in terms of how it's distributed. You're going to have a really strong top four, top five, top six, maybe even seven or eight. Then you're going to have a tier where everybody wants to get in. And this may be a class where the 112, 201, you may be able to trade for a future first. We didn't talk about 2025, but right now the 2025 class is looking extremely bleak. I know Jordan Backus will talk more about that as we go forward, but it's not looking strong. I've heard him directly say, not at all high on the 2025 class. So this may be one of those rookie classes where you are sitting at the 201, 202, 112, 111 easily you can get a 25 first. In the last couple classes, there were no chances. No way you could move a 201-112 for a future pick. Maybe once in a blue moon, someone got that deal done. But for the most part, in sharp leagues, as soon as we got past that apex point, 107-108, you were done getting a future first. You almost just had to make the pick. And I do think that could potentially buck the trend this year with this data. So shout out to Travis May. It was a good way to organize the data for me to go through and look at it and really kind of shape what the big picture view of this class is going to be. I will link the thread. He goes through and there's at least 30 tweets following the original tweet with the data where he is just talking about different positions and talking about you know certain players moving up or certain players moving down. He talks a little bit more other than just the offensive players as well, but it's a great thread. Uh, shout out to Travis. I didn't ask him if I could use this for the show, but I'm guessing he won't really mind since he put it out there on Twitter. Uh, but good stuff. And more to come on this. Obviously, Destination Debbie is known uh, for its rookie analysis. Uh, and that's something that I hope I can bring to the team more this year. Uh, we have some big plans for some rookie tools that are going to be coming. And hopefully I can bring some of the dynasty market perspective. 
because my expertise is not the players, right? I look at guys like Jordan Backus and Ray, people like Travis May and many others to tell me who are the players that fit into the ranges and perceptive value tiers uh, that we're looking at for our dynasty analysis. But once you get that, now it's about playing the market on these picks, playing the market on the perception of these players. Uh, Some more to come, but I'm really excited for this class. I know we still have a little more than a month remaining in the fantasy season. Uh, We have a total of, what, week 11 through 17. So you're talking about seven more weeks through the fantasy finals. Uh, But still, I'm almost ready for rookie draft season. It'll be here before you know it. And hopefully this episode was very helpful to kind of get a shape of what the big picture view of the 2024 class is going to be. Uh, With that, you get more. Sign up for DestinationDevy.com, articles, podcasts, bonus pod link in there where you get all the Discord content as well. And then, of course, access to the Discord. Trades in 5 coming up Tuesday night, 8.30. You will see a live Heisman roster review, which is the highest tier of roster reviews. You'll get to see it live on the show. That will be pretty cool. Uh, to go through. Uh, Then more coming very, very soon. So I appreciate everybody. This was a fun episode to do a little bit of a break from the dynasty roster construction stuff, but obviously all of this stuff ties in eventually Uh, and excited to dive in more to it as we get further along into the season and into the off season. So with that, I will go ahead and sign off. Good luck in week 10 to everybody that still has matchups up in the air and be chill. There's a rumor going down about me. Stirring